Visit patreon.com slash consensus on reality for exclusive episodes and content. Welcome to episode 24 of Consensus on Reality. We are joined today by countercultural and Discordian chronicler Adam Gowrightly. Uh, he is the author of many books in the larger conspiracy paranormal sphere, including classics like the uh, Manson-focused book Shadow Over Santa Susanna and the uh, Carrie Thornley Prankster and the Conspiracy, and most recently, uh, saucers, spooks, and kooks, uh, about which we will be talking mostly in this episode. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, um, I thought a f- fun question to start us off might be, uh, who do you think are the top three uh, ufological hoaxers? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The uh, Mount Rushmore of UFO hoaxers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, my, f- uh, among my favorites um, are Jim Mosley and um, Gray Barker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the famous straight letter hoax. This is, you know, going back in the, the uh, early 1950s when they uh, sent a hoax letter to uh, George Adamski. Mm. Telling George he was on the right track, and uh, we've been watching your research, uh, you know, talking to the, uh, communicating with the aliens, and if you're ever in D.C., uh, pay us a visit. Apparently, uh, according to how the story goes, uh, either Barkley, uh, either Mosley or uh, Barker got a hold of some absconded uh, State Department uh, stationery and used that to hoax their letter. Yeah. And it's a uh, very uh, discordian type of uh, ufological hoax. So that's, yeah. that's a famous one. That's, that's two. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Richard uh, Doty, maybe he could, mm. uh, he's, he's quite the uh, considered a uh, hoaxer by some. So he's, he's up there in the uh, echelon or the, the annals of great hoaxers, I would think. There, there's yeah. so many. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there sure are. Um, yeah, Doty, I think, is kind of a character that pops up throughout the whole the whole book. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I kind of grew up with, uh, you know, on the forums and stuff, kind of following this stuff, uh, starting around with like the uh, the exchange program stuff, the Serpo mm-hmm. stuff, and so. Uh, yeah, just seeing Doty like pop up every once in a while as like this, uh, <laughs> this, um, appeal to authority, sort of like an ex intelligence person. And he's just like <laughs> been messing with people for like 40 years. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the, uh, Serpo was kind of a retread of, you know, uh, what he was involved with, uh, many, many years before that, this whole story about an exchange program with the ETs. I, that goes way back to the uh, late 70s, 80s. And it seemed that uh, Doty's was, you know, really one of the people who's been promoting that over the years. 
Right. And, uh, and there's that documentary Mirage Man, which kind of gave him like a star treatment too, which I think yeah, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think, is he still, you know, pulling the same tricks? Is he still out there doing that? Well, he's still uh, out there. Uh, he just did an interview with uh, Jimmy Church. I didn't <laughs> hear that one, but he's still active doing whatever exactly he is doing. <laughs> it's never quite <laughs> right. Clear with that guy. Yeah. Um, so he was part of that whole aviary scene. Um, and for mm-hmm. our listeners who might not be familiar, what, what was the aviary? So, yeah, this goes back, oh boy, kind of uh, started in the uh, 70s, uh, mid-70s or so, and uh, it was basically an ad hoc group, as the story goes at least, of uh, different uh, military intelligence people and also uh some people in the private sector and writers like uh, Bill Moore interacted with this group, the aviary, John Alexander, you might know his name and uh, as well as Dodie and Hal Pudoff, all these characters that (laughs) pop up time and again, Hal Pudoff recently was involved with the whole TTSA thing, but Hmm. uh, they were basically as the story goes, this kind of ad hoc, uh, group that had an interest in UFOs, also psychic phenomena with these government and intelligence connections. And they were looking at, you know, pushing UFO disclosure forward of getting the truth out there, supposedly. Another way of looking at it is that it was basically some type of uh, psychological operation that they were involved with or spreading disinformation or, you know, maybe multiple agendas that uh, different people who were involved in the uh, aviary were involved with. Yeah. Um, and that kind of ties into that whole uh, Dulce uh, mythos too. What, what What's that about? That's like the underground base stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you want? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what do we What do we have going on there? <laughs> oh boy. Well, that's kind of the main focus of, or one of the main focuses of the book that led mm-hmm. me to write write this thing. Um, it really started with uh, a guy named Tal Levesque, who I met uh, oh uh, over ten years ago or so. Tal had been involved in uh, ufology and also uh, hollow earth uh, investigator, <laughs> inner earth right. investigator. Then part of that scene, he was uh, he and his wife Mary Martin put out a zine way back in the day in the seventies called the Hollow Earth Hassle. <laughs> and uh, like I said, about 10, 12 years ago, I came in contact with uh, Tal. I really didn't know who he was up until that point, but then we began interacting. And as I learned more about this guy, I saw that he'd been, had his hands in all kinds of stuff over the years. And as time passed, I became more aware of his involvement in the uh, Dulce base story, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, 
he was propagating that mythos and was one of the, you could say, originators or <laughs> creators of the myth. But where, where it all started was with uh, Paul Benowitz in the late uh, 70s, or 79, 80. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Benowitz, in a nutshell, uh, and he's covered, you mentioned Mirage Man, the, yeah. the uh, documentary, and there's also the Mirage Man book, and also my friend Greg Bishop's book, Project Beta, got into that uh, right. era and the interactions of uh, Paul Benowitz and with Richard Doty and Bill Moore. And uh, yeah, in a nutshell, um, Benowitz was a, a contractor for the government. Uh, he worked in aviation, uh, creating, uh, developing sensors for airplanes and aircraft and whatnot, and different uh, instruments, instrumentation. And he lived right on the outskirts of Kirtland uh, Air Force Base. And in 79 or so, he began seeing UFOs over the base and became quite alarmed. And they were uh, hovering over what's called the Manzano weapons uh, area, which at that time was the largest storehouse for uh, nuclear weapons. And so he began began filming these uh, things and also really set up the sophisticated array of uh, listening devices, started picking up signals. As time passed, he began to believe or suspect that uh, these were ET UFOs he, he was uh, filming and photographing, and the signals that he were was picking up were coming from these ET uh, ships. And uh, so he contacted the uh, Kirtland Air base uh, security, the Air Force, and that uh, brought him up on the radar of their intelligence folks, one of whom was uh, Richard uh, Doty, who began interacting with uh, Benowitz. Uh, Doty was with AFOSI, the Air Force Office of Special Investigation, and uh, it really began became part of a counterintelligence program that Doty was involved with because they were trying to figure out what exactly uh, Benowitz was capturing with this, with his uh, photography and uh, motion pictures and the signals he was picking up because what he was picking up, uh, according to, you know, sources involved with this was really some secret uh, testing of stealth technology and also uh, kind of this uh, laser radar program that was communicating with satellites. Those were the communications he was picking up and they became uh, concerned that uh, he would pass this uh, information once he figured out exactly what it is to the uh, Russians or other foreign nationals. And so uh, according to some accounts, um, thus began a disinformation uh, campaign, which is famous in, in uh, UFO lore, and they be- began feeding him uh, Benowitz disinformation. And one of part of the disinformation was that there was an alien underground base at uh, Dulce, which was a ways away from Kirtland. They were trying to distract him from Kirtland Basin. Mm. 
uh, point him towards Dulcie, where there was indeed a lot of weird shit going on during that uh, period with UFO sightings and uh, cattle mutilation. So that began the uh, basically the Dulce Bay story, and it gets <laughs> gets even right. deeper from there. Yeah, yeah, it kind of spirals off into this like whole like fantasy world. Yeah, it's like yeah, oh what? my god, yeah. One one of the interesting things, and Greg Bishop um, wrote about this in his book, was that uh, according to Bill Moore, and uh, Bill Moore was right uh, in the middle of all this. He's kind of an infamous character. In uh, 1980, he wrote the book Incident at Roswell, or the Roswell Incident, mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of launched, you know, the whole Roswell story back into popular consciousness. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, according to a story, Moore, who is friends with Greg Bishop, Bill Moore told uh, uh, my friend uh, Bishop, and uh, I guess a little background, Moore, well, <laughs> let's back up just a little bit. Um, <laughs> More, uh, uh, after he wrote his book, Incident at Roswell, he uh, came on the radar of these intelligence agency folks with the Air Force, uh, with the Air Force, and uh, was approached by someone going by the code name of Falcon. Mm -hmm. And uh, a kind of deal was uh, struck between the two of them, Falcon and Moore, that. Uh, more would share top secret UFO poop if uh, intelligence, if more would uh, help them infiltrate the UFO community and keep track on all these, you know, different people like Benowitz and other folks in ufology to see who they were uh, talking with. You know, at that time, a lot of the uh, people in ufology were also government contractors involved in mm -hmm. stealth technology and these type of things. Mm -hmm. So there was uh, part of it was a concern on who these guys are interacting with, you know, are they uh, leaking any uh, information about uh, stealth technology or anything, anything. So that's how Bill Moore got uh, involved in this. He began feeding uh, information to uh Benowitz uh, from Doty, and some of this was uh, disinformation, you know, more mm. of the uh, yeah. ET uh, type stuff. And so at one point, according to Bishop's research, uh, J. Allen Hynek, we all know who he is, I think, he was uh, doing contract work for the government at that time, and he passed on a, a computer to Benowitz that had a software program in it that would allow Benowitz to communicate with the aliens, which is kind of an eyebrow razor. What was going <laughs> on here? And uh, basically what uh, he, some of the information he started getting through this uh, computer, there was images of aliens and these type of things, but also this, he was actually talking directly to uh ETs, or so he thought, who were uh, giving him this information about uh, Dulce Base. And one of the first uh, memos concerning Dulce Base 
was uh, around 82 or three uh, Benowitz, you know, after interacting with the Kirtland Air Force Base security, didn't feel they were taking him seriously. So he started uh, contacting uh, different uh, politicians. Mm -hmm. And one of them was uh, Senator Pete Domenici. This was in uh, New Mexico. He also contacted, you know, sent letters to Ronald Reagan and other people. But there's one uh, letter he sent to Domenici where he it was uh, it's one of the earliest references of the Dulce base. And he mentioned there's it was an underground base there and that, that there had been some type of confrontation in 1979 between the humans at the base and the ETs. You know, this was like the exchange program you mentioned before. And mm -hmm. supposedly what was going on there, they were uh, – the ETs were exchanging secret technology in exchange for humans upon whom they could experiment. So that's, as far as I can tell, that's really where the Dulce base mythos first started or where it was first uh, mentioned. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, Reminds yeah, me a lot of uh, the Skinwalker Ranch story as well. This sort of like style of cloaking. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, the uh, that's all tied into this larger story because a lot of the same players that were involved with uh, all these uh, folks, you know, the aviary was interacting with Doty and Bill Moore and this group of uh, researchers. And a lot of those same characters uh, later ended up in, you know, uh, Skywalker Ranch. Uh, what's his name? Bo uh, Bob Bigelow, yeah, Bigelow. and Hal Pudoff. And so it's the same characters that uh, pop up uh, time and again. I mean, what? Right. Who knows what's going on? At, yeah. Uh, in Walker Ranch, uh, <laughs> for sure. I have different. Uh, Theories, you know, it, it could be a facility that's set up to, you know, take some people out there and kind of stage some uh, mm -hmm. stuff to uh, blow people's minds and, uh, you know, more psyops, disinformation type stuff going on out there. Right. Yeah, that would make sense, given uh, the history of, the, of these kinds of uh locations it seems like there's always some kind of spooky business going on with the uh, yeah psyops um and well just to uh, a little bit more on the dulce thing so you mm -hmm. had that early letter f from uh, benowitz and he started going out there and investigating the uh, dulce area and he believed after a while that yeah there was a secret uh, underground base there and in uh may of 1980 one of the things that led him to believe this was uh a lady named myrna hansen who in may of uh 1980 she was uh driving through eagle nest uh, new mexico and that this is kind of out there in the dulce area not far from skinwalker ranch you know colorado new mexico yeah out in that area and she uh had a sighting where she saw a uh, ufo appeared and a beam came down and sucked up a cow hmm. up into the ship and then uh 
with a tractor beam, and then uh, she and her son got sucked up into the uh, craft, <clears throat> and they saw a ET uh, dissecting a UFO on the craft, hmm. and uh, she, uh, this she became obviously quite alarmed after her experience. She contacted the uh, local cops and they got in touch with uh, Gabe Valdez, who is a next New Mexico state trooper. He's pretty well known for his research and cattle mutilations. Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. Valdez knew Benowitz and uh, he put Myrna Hansen in touch with Benowitz to help her figure out uh, what the heck was going on. And Benowitz knew a, uh, hypnotic regression therapist named Leo Sprinkle and they were involved in APRO, one of the early UFO organizations. Anyway, they st started doing uh, regressions of uh, Myrna Hansen at Benowitz's uh, home. And uh, through those uh, series of regressions, uh, uh, Hansen shared uh, subsequent experiences she had where she was taken to an underground uh, base, uh, you know, went, uh, had the medical procedure and missing time and an implant supposedly inserted at the base of her skull. And at one point she broke free of her captors and uh, was running through the facility and she saw the, um, little hybrid uh, babies and vats and that mm -hmm. whole thing, you know, that would later populate the uh, X-Files. So this is, uh, you know, one of the places where a lot of these memes uh, yeah. started. Right. And because, because of all this, uh, Benowitz began to suspect that uh, her experience had happened at the uh, Dulce underground base. And so a lot of this started to get out there and, uh, UFO culture, conspiracy uh, culture. Then in uh, 1988, uh, the, Dulce Vapor, the Dulce Papers uh, surfaced, which truly catapulted this whole thing into uh, popular consciousness. And uh, that's uh, a big part of my book, looking, in, looking at the whole story and kind of uh, breaking it uh, down. And uh, originally, I was uh, all started with an article I was writing called uh, "Deconstructing Dulce" about ten years ago. And as I got deeper into this, I saw how it connected with a lot of these other things we've been talking about: the M Bill Moore, the MJ12 Papers, the yeah. Aviary, Skywalker Ranch, later on Serpo, yeah. Richard Doty's involvement. You have the right. same characters that seem to pop up. Uh, time and time again yeah yeah i think uh yeah i mean i always think of these things as kind of niche or something fringe i guess but yeah the the images that come out of these like these uh memes i guess like you said uh they end up in yeah the x-files like and they become like things that end up on t-shirts in like target or something you know <laughs> right, right yeah well even even the term alien gray right that came from the Benowitz affair. Mm -hmm. Look, yes. in the early documentation, uh, there's a report he uh, authored called Project Beta, which was his, uh, which he basically outlined how to deal with these dastardly aliens. And 
in that he referred to them as gray. So that was the uh, early 80s. Uh, and, uh, of course, the term became kind of more popular used with, uh, you know, the time Whitley Strieber uh, rolled around. Um, yeah. And so th with the, uh, as I got more into this and in the, uh, Dulce, the Dulce papers thing, that's where Tal Levesque uh, came in. And as I get into the uh, book, it was really Tal Levesque and John Lear that uh, helped create and seed a lot of these stories about mm -hmm. uh, Dulce Basin. One of them was uh, a security officer named Thomas Castello. That's kind of the big part of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Castello was the security officer at Dulce Base. Then he, he led a revolt along with the uh, human security workers and some aliens mm -hmm. that teamed up with them. Yeah. And uh, when the smoke cleared, uh, 66 of them were killed. And uh, Castello was supposedly able to escape because he had this flash flash gun that would vaporize uh, people that worked pretty well. So he, he was able to get get out and he took with him once again allegedly uh, uh, photographs uh, security uh, footage uh, basically uh, to blow the whistle on what was going on at uh, Dulce base hmm. uh, Tom Thomas Castello never really existed but uh, mm -hmm. yeah he's, he's part of the mythos and later I uh, was that story is kind of picked up on a guy, by a guy named Phil Schneider, who you might have right. heard of in yeah. the 90s, who was basically repeating that uh, same story that he had worked at uh, Dulce uh, Base and had been part of this confrontation and had uh, he got pretty popular on the lecture circuit, Patriot UFO lecture circuit, and would show he was missing a couple of fingers and had some chest scars, which he would uh, show off. But it uh, later, and this is seen, see this in some uh, FOIA documents that got re released in the last few years. Uh, Schneider was mentally unstable and was a self-mutilator. You know, that's the reason he uh, lost his fingers. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so that's you know one of this meme about uh, confrontation between humans and uh, aliens at a base pops up time and time again. There's different variations on the story. Like there's an Area 51 uh, version of this. It's you know one of those uh, retreads that pops up in ufology time and again. Yeah, right? and I noticed a lot in the new book, like. Um... The, the chapel perilous effect of these characters who, as you mentioned with Benowitz, it just takes a, a gentle nudge into the abyss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's kind of just, it's, it's interesting to examine the uh, unintentional hoaxers of ufology, but then sort of the other angle that you've spoke about with um, your own close encounter um, and the involvement of maybe uh people as a co-conspirator in close encounters uh, where, where do you kind of fall on that now um rephrase that question 
Yeah, I think just listening to you. Yeah, I know. I have a bad way of of uh, <laughs> unintelligible questions, but yeah, I, th- I think um, maybe with with Greg Bishop, you guys were talking uh, recently on on or probably years ago now. But when I listened to, and um, I think the idea of humans being instrumental in the act of uh, oh. close encounters, and I'm wondering kind of where you fall on that at this point after hashing over all these contact stories for this book and also a to Adamski. Yeah, that's uh, what Greg calls the co-creation theory. And uh, boy, I mean, I don't know for sure, but for a long time, uh, that seemed to be the theory that uh, made the most sense to me, at least for my own experience, which I had on LSD with a friend where we uh, saw a bunch of uh, UFOs. Uh, and yeah, I've talked about this quite a bit over the years, but it seemed uh, at the time it happened, it was uh, kind of a symbiotic relationship. We were that w- what we were interacting with was uh, interacting uh, with us in a sense to uh, that we were both part of, part of the experience you know yeah I'm not, I'm not uh, explaining this uh, real well but that uh, the heightened state of awareness we were in or the intoxicated state however you want to look at a lot of times uh experiencers down through the ages, whatever they might have been experiencing, UFOs or uh, entities uh, would often, uh, before the experience, enter into a trance state Mm -hmm. in one way or another. You know, it might be intoxicants, it might be uh, gazing into a crystal ball or a candle or whatever to uh, open themselves up to that uh, experience. And this is what uh, John Kill called the uh, super spectrum. Basically that uh, psychics become, can become aware of like tuning in a radio or able to uh, peek uh, through uh, some type of uh, window that you're, you know, uh, perhaps something that's always there, but only in a certain state of minds are we able to see that and uh, interact uh, with the other, whatever the other may uh, be. And it's it's a two-way experience. Uh, You know, it feels like that whole trickster element Mm -hmm. that they're as as amused about us as we are, you know, about them. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a theory that uh, makes sense to me, but I'm I'm open to a lot of uh, different uh, theories. It's not just one <laughs> witness. Right. Yeah. UFOs is not just one thing. Obviously. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, lately, I feel like uh, uh, there's this kind of return to like, a, uh, I don't know what the word, not optimistic, but like a very credulous kind of like, ufology uh especially with like the two the stars stuff Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah how do you i mean why is that happening now um because i feel like it did we went through sort of a moving towards the i don't know like the valet kind of like 
uh, interdisciplinary approach. And now mm -hmm. it's sort of like the, the main thrust of ufology feels like it's on this other path where like we're waiting for like the Pentagon to disclose yeah. something, which of course is, <laughs> you know, useless, but yeah. Um, yeah. Why do you think that's happening? Well, you know, I talk about, uh, there's nothing new in ufology. And of course there's been UFO disclosure from the very beginning, you know, like, right. uh, Donald Kehoe and more recent years, Stephen Bassett and this, the latest, mm. the TTSA thing on. Yeah. Um, I was kind of skeptical about that whole venture from the get go. You know, <laughs> yeah. one, of, one of the reasons you have some of these recurring characters, uh, how Pudoff involved in, you know, the uh, different people who worked uh, in intelligence and the whole, uh, it's kind of a, a rollout, you know, uh, that got a, attention from, you know, first like the New York Times and the Washington Post and people were going, whoa, you got these uh, big legacy media uh, looking at this. Maybe this is it, you know? Yeah, and uh, of course, as time passed, it, uh, one thing I think that you got a lot of, uh, say, credulous or a new breed of people that uh, group of people into this was uh, this is really the first time you had uh, a lot of uh, social media, internet. Uh, groups mm. really latch onto something, and uh, so so that was part of. It. I think there was some manipulation uh, going on there. With, uh, I mean, this is my theory. I don't. I talk about TTSA in a a bit in the book, but I didn't get uh, too deep into what they were involved with or what I suspect they were involved with. Yeah. With social media, there was like. Uh, a couple of fan websites uh, showed up, uh, you know, as as TTSA got uh, rolling, and it became obvious that you know these were pretty well produced uh, fan websites. They looked totally professional, and if you went to them, uh, it looked like an ad advertisement for TTSA. So it right. seemed like there was some astroturfing going on mm. and with those websites what i suspect is that ttsa was, was part of their social uh media influence campaign but uh you know they were trying to uh distance themselves and show that other you know fans were behind these groups but you know and there was also some involvement in different Facebook groups where you have some of these guys that were uh, connected to TTSA and earlier the aviary, like uh, the kit greens of the world. Yeah. Uh, we're interacting with uh, some of these Facebook groups and you've seen uh, there's like these, the Wilson documents and other things that came out of these groups that all seem to be ultimately promoting uh, the TTSA mission. So that was kind of long winded, but I think there was some yeah. ast astroturfing uh, going on and they were working uh, 
the media and there, there's still there's still some uh, interaction with the media going on i think yeah not so much uh the big uh you know the times or the washington post but you know recently it's been fox news uh right. <laughs> yeah seems to have latched on to this there seems yeah. to be like the dialing up of the uh the hostile et's narrative that's been there for so long um yeah and i also i also thought it was really interesting in the new book um how it's kind of insinuating that maybe it's the dod's bluff to say that they have recovered crafts and stuff <laughs> i thought that mm -hmm. was really interesting and kind of a way that i had never really thought about it as to why these narratives would be pushed um maybe because they they don't know much at all you know there, there's not any new insights on the uh phenomena yeah that's a thread that uh runs through the uh a tip ttsa stuff too about uh uh recovered uh craft you know and that's been there since the beginning with the uh roswell story and it's something tom dolong was uh talking about early on there was some mccaslin guy who had uh debris and uh, it seems like they also were talking about the alloys or the right. whatever uh metamaterials they had and all this seemed to point to okay they have uh, material from uh, alien crafts but nothing ever uh, came of all the you know hmm. promises about all this stuff and a lot of it's some oddball thing like uh, you know, one of the uh, it appears that Linda Moulton Howe passed on some of Art's parts for like the well, she did more than pass on, according to what I've heard. Right. Sold them to DeLong for like uh, $30,000. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's uh, apparently uh, they've been, uh, these arts parts, <laughs> people have had these for a number of years. Even uh, Bob Bigelow, though, he's, he's kind of uh, sketchy about it. You can never pin him uh down so you know that it, all of that was part of the big uh promise or the big reveal that was uh going to happen with the ttsa group that uh you know they had these meta materials that would reveal maybe sort of that uh you know they came from an et uh craft right. and of course saw the uh tick tock tic tac film footage <laughs> they've been promoting for several years now that uh you know yeah right it it, it 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 hasn't gone any farther than that yeah, yeah it sure hasn't <laughs> i mean yeah um it, it does feel like every few years there's a new very sort of unimpressive uh thing that they rally around and i mean but of course there's still good research being done at the fringes mm -hmm. as always but yeah, yeah the, the mainstream stuff is kind of it has this same pattern of uh yeah, like a kind of a circus every once in a while. Yeah, and it was a pretty, if you look at it from the perspective as a uh, slick media rollout that was uh, timed, you know, to uh, try to uh, promote the launching of TTSA. I mean, these uh, big uh, newspaper articles came out 
around that time. Then every time, like uh, a year or so later, when they're getting ready to launch their television show, uh, show uh, Unidentified, leading up to that, you know, just a few weeks, you'd have different leaks coming out about, you know, this Navy uh, program looking at uh, UFOs. And it was always uh, time to uh, seem to promote whatever uh, that group was trying to uh, sell or promote, you know, whether it was the television show or the, you know, selling stocks in their uh, company. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, uh, it just keeps, it seems to be the, uh, they keep re- repeating the same basic uh, story that, yeah, it's uh, any time now that there's going to be reports coming out in the Congress and uh, yes, we will have UFO disclosure. Yeah. Right. Is there, I mean, do you think there is a, a UFO subculture without intelligence manipulation like i mean obviously historically no but is it possible <laughs> well uh, the, i mean it's you know that it's part of ufology is this the uh, intelligence agents agencies interacting with it for sure yeah. i mean and it goes on how much of it is you know you're never sure about what the hell richard Doty uh he just like to fuck with people's head or is this part of an actual, uh, see still part of some counterintelligence program or is he brought back every few years to, uh, you know, be part of a uh, part of a intelligence disinformation campaign or is he just a uh, rogue agent? Never, never really quite sure what the hell's going on behind the scenes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you think uh, stuff like, uh, like, obviously, QAnon is the big thing for runaway conspiracy mythos? Do you think mm-hmm. that's like sort of in the same tradition as like Dulce and stuff? Yeah, um, I really do. Uh, you know, a lot of it. Uh, I mean, it's come out. Uh, People have connected uh, some of the Dulce stuff to, uh, like, uh, Pizzagate and uh, right. QAnon. One of the things that they were, uh, oh, there was a bunch of people brought down into uh, underground bases. And that that comes up in the uh, Pizzagate QAnon stuff. That, that I forget what exactly what their spin on it was, but that seemed like it was straight out of Dulce with uh, the Dulce story, you know, like I said, it was uh, the aliens were basically creating these uh, human-alien hybrids because they were a dying race, and they were also extracting uh, uh, fluids from uh, children and drinking them, which is like a Pizzagate mm-hmm. thing, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the old uh, anti-Semitic uh thing too you know uh, conspiracies going way back about the the jew jews sacrificing babies and drinking their blood so you can make uh certainly make some uh connections there yeah 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 i I do think yeah it's always uh it's funny that for a while they're like the other that was being uh you know accused of these crimes was just like 
aliens. Uh, and now it's back to being to people again. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what that, yeah, what that means. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, coming out of like the zine culture, um, what do you think about the trajectories of like misinformation now, especially through like memes, something like QAnon that just sort of snowballed, uh, it's it kind of seems like it's almost unwieldy to control. Like I imagine that intelligence uh, is almost scared of, of their own creations now. <laughs> well, it's definitely changed uh, from the zine uh, days. You know, uh, back then uh, it was kind of <sighs> definitely more underground, obscure. You know. Uh, more cool <laughs> yeah. and um, and uh, you know a lot of the conspiracy theorists were uh, 70s 80s more left oriented but then you know there's always been the left and the right uh, conspiracy yeah. theories and they kind of they call it fusion paranoia where they uh, meet in the middle but yeah i mean in recent years it's just uh gone crazy and a lot of this is just um more manipulation of conspiracy theories as political yeah. uh propaganda and uh it's mm. kind of resulted in uh a religious cult of sorts so uh all the uh I don't know, cool kid conspiracy theorists of the '90s or whatever have kind of evolved into what conspiracy theory is now, which is like, uh, uh, it's become uh, pretty toxic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I guess it's like oh, maybe the last six or seven years. I feel like is when it hit that like really strange uh I, I guess went mainstream is kind of a silly way to, to say it but yeah. mm -hmm. it kind of like it yeah. became this like undeniable cultural force yeah well part of it uh was definitely uh sparked by the 2016 election a lot of the you know russian hacking and stuff that went on there that kind of fed into the uh, Pizzagate uh, narrative, not saying that the uh, Russians who ever created uh, Pizzagate, but with, you know, the whole, the, the memes were already there back in the 90s with Hillary uh, Clinton as, you know, there was, there was these conspiracy theories that she was a uh, child sacrificing <laughs> pedophile back uh, then and right. those were uh, regurgitating those was uh, you know po political capital here in with yeah. the uh, right. 2016 election which you know fed a lot of those old you know the Clinton uh, what they call it the Clinton uh, kill list and uh, right. all that fed into the uh, lot of the uh, Pizzagate uh, stuff, and you had you know it's always been part of uh, conspiracy theories. I liked was just you know opening up your head to some wild ideas like mm. uh, 
the James Shelby Downard stuff where you start seeing uh, patterns and codes and, uh, you know, little clues and piecing them together. And that got, you know, really ramped up with all that to the Pizzagate nonsense where if you right. like you know, hard enough for <laughs> anything, you're going to, you know, feed that confirmation uh, bias and make your, you know, self-believe it right it's kind of yeah. uh it goes back to the, the robert anton wilson chapel perilous uh method of following the narrative but mm -hmm. not so you can't uh follow your way back out of the forest or whatever and you know i have encountered these things over the years synchronicities you know when i've yeah. been working on different book projects and stuff so the uh, how that happens, I, I don't know for sure, but that effect is real. And the more you look for stuff, the deeper you go into the rabbit hole, the more things seem to fall in your path. Yeah. And it can, yeah, sometimes I wrote about that a bit in the book. It can uh, really uh, uh, set you down that chapel perilous path or make you think you're going crazy sometimes when all these uh kind of patterns seem to emerge yeah that, yeah. that, that make it that that make your overarching theory uh uh make sense but i've written about you know a lot about these guys like uh carrie thornley and downard or whatever they were mm -hmm. you know thornley for instance he really uh, started seeing a lot of that as he got deeper into his JFK assassination conspiracies, where he began to believe that, you know, he was being harassed by a group of people that were following him around and talking uh, in code. But then he also suffered from paranoid schizophrenia at some point so you know what what came first did right was he actually <laughs> witness to some conspiracy that uh turned him into a paranoid schizophrenic hmm. yeah um yeah carrie thornley stuff is really fascinating and yeah i was i watched i mean the new Adam Curtis stuff and noticed all, the, yeah. all that Thornley stuff and lo and behold, there you were in, in the credits. How did that come about? Yeah, that was from me. He, uh, let's see. It's been a few years now. I want to say maybe 2017. Hmm. He contacted me hmm. and uh, he was coming out to the West coast and he wanted to talk to me, interview me about uh, Carrie Thornley and Greg Hill. He was interested in them. And I actually, I didn't know who he was at that time. I said, yeah, fine, come on out. And I had, uh, I had kind of heard of him. I'd heard about, uh, what is it, hypernormalization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I think before he showed up, I watched that and was blown away. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so he came out and uh, told, you know, uh, sat down and talked to interviewed me about uh, Thornley and Greg Hill and Robert Anton Wilson and started discussing this concept for a documentary he had. And 
about how you know a lot of the uh, disillusionment that came out of the uh, 60s and Thornley and Hill and Wilson were all part of those guys that uh, thought, yeah, we could uh, not accept reality as it is, consensus reality, but create our own paths, you know, like a lot of people did in the 60s. And ultimately, they found, you know, both Thornley and Greg Hill lost their path because <laughs> they lost their way along. And so that was kind of the uh, uh, concept he was uh, throwing around. Like I said, that was 2017. And I shared like the video footage you see of Thornley and that I shared with him. Yeah. And he took some excerpts out of the book and was really interested in the uh, whole Jim Garrison propinquity theory called time and propinquity. And that's kind of, once again, talking about these uh, patterns and little signs that you piece together. If you saw a person here at a, a certain date at a place where some other person showed up at a later date, uh, you start connecting them to this greater JFK assassination conspiracy. So all that stuff interested uh, Adam Curtis, then, you know, we kind of stayed in touch over the last uh, couple of years. And he said, yeah, I'm, st I'm still working on the hmm. uh, film here, but now it's, it's turned into like a six-part documentary. So, <laughs> yeah, it, and he finally finished it, and it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Can't, can't get you out of, can't get you out of my head. Yeah. So it's called, yeah. Yeah. yeah have you, have you kind of, uh, in your years researching Thornley, have you wavered on um, any sort of consensus if you think he was maybe manipulated or not? Oh, man. Well, I know for sure that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of clouds the uh, issue if he got sucked into a uh, – conspiracy there it's there were some odd happenings around him and uh even in later years uh talking to people who knew him in little uh five points atlanta which is like the bohemian area there it was uh he was known as quite a, a character as kind of old uh hippie guy with all these uh crazy stories but i i heard these from more than a couple people that Thornley would be somewhere, then he'd leave. And afterwards, some like men in black uh, intelligence type people, or, you know, they looked like feds or whatever, were <laughs> asking questions about him, you know, and that was many years after the uh, whole JFK assassination. So that there was that there was some weirdness going on with him. I mean, he ultimately believed a lot of crazy uh, sounding stuff that he's part of a Nazi genetic breeding experiment. He and Oswald, you know, mm -hmm. were uh, created to be uh, would be assassins. Who knows about some of that uh, stuff? But uh, yeah, who knows for sure? A lot of oddities concerning uh, Thornley's life. In other words, I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, a very foggy path, uh, but I think the, it's Discordianism itself, it's just so interesting that it started as this uh, kind of like playful, 
almost like fluxus in a way, you know, and then mm-hmm. it just had these like massive implications and almost <laughs> seemed to attract like intelligence types and stuff for its utility. Well, a lot of people more recently, uh, you know, uh, Wilson said at one time, you know, they thought Operation Mindfuck was uh, a lot of fun, but then it got out of hand playing all these pranks and doing these uh, fake letters to like people in the John Birch Society or screwing with uh, Jim Garrison or whoever, but it kind of came back and bit them in the but, you know, when Thornley kind of went off the deep end, uh, Wilson got fearful that, uh, that uh, Thornley might pop out of a bush at one point and start taking shots at him because, you know, that was the period when uh, Thornley went off the uh, deep end. So it's another one of those uh, Chapel Perilous things. But more recently, you know, the, the whole – we were talking about uh, a lot of the uh, – weirdness that came out of the 2016 uh, campaign and the whole Peppy yeah. the Frog thing and a lot of people who were involved in that uh, scene, you know, the alt-right people were pointing towards Operation Mind fucking Discordianism as an influence, you know, yeah, and using sigils and these type of things to uh, create their own uh, reality. I, <clears throat> I'm sure Wilson and <laughs> Thornley and Greg Hill would have been, wouldn't have been, uh, would have been horrified and wouldn't have signed on to the, the Peppy the Frog uh, white nationalism uh, stuff. But uh, there you go. Yeah. Sometimes when you unleash things, they uh, right do the unexpected. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, um, yeah. Well, yeah. In studying these like long topics, to long-standing topics like JFK and and all your work on Manson, has there been anything that's came out since like uh, since you researched that stuff that's that surprised you or kind of made you uh, maybe want to take another look at that stuff, or, or are you just completely just over talking <laughs> about that? <laughs> well, I'm over the uh, Manson stuff. Pretty much, but I would say that book the guy wrote called Chaos. Yeah, familiar with that? Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if yeah if you took a look at that. Yeah, I at first I think it came out a two three years ago now, and I'd seen it in a bookstore. I kind of picked it up and looked at it, and within the book it shows he had a couple pictures of himself at work at his desk, and I go what's this what he's is he making this all about him you know so that my first reaction was that kind of uh turned me off but then later i saw him interviewed on uh might have been joe rogan or something i go mm-hmm. well i understand now why <laughs> he was uh putting himself in the story because it was a journey over many many years uh, stumbling upon a lot of this intelligence agency stuff. And once again, he didn't find a smoking gun per se. And I apologize. I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but Tom he, something. What's it? Tom O'Neill. Tom, o- O'Neill. O'Neil. Yeah. Yeah. Tim yeah. <laughs> and so he, he found some interesting uh, leads, but like he said, he was, 
he's one of those really hardcore reporters. It was like, yeah. you know, I really want to get to the bottom of this. It's why it's taken me 20 years and I'm still not there, but he finally uh, put out that book. And so, yeah, I thought that was uh, fascinating. I thought he turned up some uh, new interesting leads and uh, characters in that uh, book that kind of uh, takes, you know, the stuff I was looking at in the shadow over sadness, Susanna, Mm-hmm. a few steps uh, further mm. so so that yeah that was uh that was interesting yeah and that kind yeah. of started as as just an article too like your uh your most recent book he he was just supposed yeah. to write like a retrospective for people i think or something yeah i got to admire the guy yeah it was for some uh, entertainment uh yeah magazine i forget what it was exactly and you know they paid him up uh, front for a uh, story then like a year later or two years later. Well, I'm still working on it. And whoever <laughs> editors he had was like, okay, we're, we're behind you, man. I guess this went on for a few years and uh, he was still like, oh man, it's, this story has changed. It's, you know, he just wanted some puff type piece, but I've come across all this, these other leads, you know, and I got to follow them where they may go. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I respect somebody who takes that approach, approach this taking their time. That was kind of how this, the, uh, saucers, spooks and kooks evolved over the years. Cause it really started with, uh, we're talking about Tal Levesque. Mm. I began interacting with him in like 2008. I, was writing an article called my breakfast with towel <laughs> that was that was the major plan that because he was such a fascinating character and that's one of the chapters in the book yeah. and then i uh began to understand and figure out what a large role he played in the dulce base mythos and that got me into looking at all the different both dulce base stories and uh, yeah that was going to be an article called uh, Deconstructing Dulce, where I went through all of that and kind of broke them down to see where this stuff came from. Then I saw, as I mentioned before, all these other connections with uh, Bill Moore, Roswell, Doty, uh, Area 51, right? Serpo, which, uh, so yeah, yeah, 10 years later, <laughs> I finally finished the book. At, you yeah. know, I would... It's like something I'd set aside for a couple of years working on other stuff, but always uh, came back to it and finally finished it. Yeah. Um, and then at the, at the end, you have that appendix, that email from, from Tao, mm-hmm. what, that, which is really an incredible little, little document. Um, what, what do you make of that? What do you think? Have you talked to him since or is that it? He died in 2018. Oh, so, so no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- I think that might have been the uh last email I got from him, last time I interacted with him. And I knew all along that he had played a large role <laughs> in that was my suspicion from what I pieced together that most likely the Thomas Castello character, you know, yeah. uh was kind of a composite of Tal himself, who claims he had knowledge of underground bases and worked as a security guard. Also a composite of uh, Paul Benowitz, 
Mm. And, you know, for many years, Tal kept telling me, no, Tom Castello was a real guy and this and that. And I kept uh, prodding him over time. And I think I ultimately broke him in that letter that appears at the end of the book. Hmm. Yeah. Where, where he admits, he admitted to uh, concocting large pieces of the Dulce base mythos. Yeah. To, to what end do you think? <laughs> well, he kind of uh, says it in that letter, yeah. as I recall, he wanted to uh, take uh, certain aspects of ufology and make them uh, more entertaining and bring in these legends of, uh, you know, uh, Tal had known Richard Shaver back in the day. Yeah. And he'd, he'd long had this interest in the hollow earth and creatures that lived under that. And that all kind of uh, worked its way into the Dulce Bates uh, story. And just to make the field, in his mind, more interesting, he could argue that, yeah, a lot of this, what he was involved with uh, later came out and some of the stuff he saw on, you know, in that entered into popular culture and the X-Files and, you know, yeah, some of that stuff. Yeah. Kind of, if he ended up being a bit of like a feedback loop or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. And he always considered himself a man behind the scenes. He didn't like to be interviewed, but he interacted was a huge influence on all these uh, a network of different writers that, that he was feeding information to who were, also writing about Dulce. So it was like this big uh, confirmation uh, loop that helped spread, you know, that story. And he was also uh, friends uh, with uh, Dan Aykroyd and helped uh, yeah. work on different projects with uh, Dan Aykroyd. The whole reason he moved near me in a, to a town called uh, Mariposa was he was, he came out here, this was back in the uh, I got early 2000s or uh, so. Uh, you know, they're kind of uh, expecting if we ever had, uh, if, uh, you know, the cataclysm, there'd be an island here in California, and uh, Mariposa would be one of the places that would survive that. And so uh, Tal, at least according to Tal, was coming out and exploring Mariposa and uh, Aykroyd had plans. I need to, if I can ever talk to Dan Aykroyd, I don't want to ask him <laughs> to confirm some of this stuff. Yeah. It was planned to set up a hard rock uh, cafe, restaurant, music scene there and turn Mariposa into the Sedona of California. Huh. Anyway, that's, that's how Tal uh, ended up out here in my neck of the woods in California. Wild. And uh, yeah. he, yeah. he, he was, while well, he was, uh, like I said, he passed away a couple of years, but he was, uh, if you see, uh, like, there, there's some maps you'll see on the inter, uh, internet, and uh, one place I can direct you, go to my Chasing UFOs uh, blog, mm -hmm. and I have a uh, Saucer's kooks and spooks resource page and there's links and there's like a talavesque uh, resource page and it'll show a bunch of these maps he constructed of uh, the, 
all these underground bases and how they're uh, connected. And he believed this whole area out here too was all part of this uh, underground network that mm. had been, you know, back in ancient times, there had been these entities living under there, but more recently these were all connected as part of secret government programs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I love uh, I love going back through all this stuff because it's kind of like stuff I got in bits and pieces uh, throughout my, you know, time as a UFO internet kind of yeah. reader. And it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very, even, I mean, you take obviously a pretty skeptical uh, approach to it, or at least neutral, but, you know, and, which I think you need at this point is important because so much of this stuff is, uh, you know, I think it's at the point where it's ready to be uh, taken apart, but yeah, um, it's just, yeah, it's kind of, it's a real joy, like going back and like thinking, like having these hazy memories of like, Oh man, like, you know, I remember this, uh, this whole case. Yeah. Underground base. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of this stuff I uh, came across and God, going back the early days of the internet bulletin boards and Mm -hmm. news groups, you know, I knew bits and pieces of the story. I heard about, you know, Dulce and the Krill papers and, you know, all these things kind of were like a haze that kind of all uh, morphed together. And so, you know, it was kind of a, this book was a learning experience to go back and uh, look, look into a lot of that stuff and see where it really came from and all the characters that were involved. Uh, not only the Talavesque and his network of people, but Bill Cooper, John Lear, they all promoted a lot of these stories. They all overlapped and were uh, different uh, variations or spins on, you know, right. Some of the same stories, everybody didn't, all these different folks, Cooper or Lear, whatever, they didn't embellish them with their own little, uh, unique spins yeah yeah cooper is wild he's the the way that he's re- like retained his popularity uh yeah. is astounding mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. i i don't really i mean you know i've read the uh, behold the pale horse and it's kind of just like yeah <laughs> i don't it's not all, i mean it's not all that impressive but i guess yeah, it's, it's just in, it's con- uh, conglomeration of this stuff thrown together but yeah. he was right. it was the right uh time for him i guess you know to make it yeah uh, and it's it's funny he has yeah he still has a big following he has uh part of that was a uh anthony hilder who was another one of these uh guys was worked with uh cooper and i think somehow uh cooper has a big black following in prison in prisons that right. that's that's part of his uh even rappers uh their songs about <laughs> bill cooper so I'm not sure how that uh happened uh some way that uh cooper or i think hilder was involved they got a lot of his behold the pell horse book into prisons and stuff and he got mm-hmm. a uh, following with a lot of uh inmates and black inmates in particular that yeah. kind of uh, 
worked itself into some rap songs and stuff too over the years so yeah it's that like visceral illuminati narrative that i think is so effective yeah yep and of course he was kind of a prototype for alex jones right right totally Yeah. yeah i read uh not the whole thing but a bit of the the biography uh pale horse rider and yeah it's good yeah and he de- yeah that definitely gets into that i kind of had forgotten about that yeah he has that that prison kind of following um yeah it's crazy <laughs> it's really really interesting um i mean so some people would pay you know uh, cooper was part of the malicious scene so they mm. you know Maybe a lot of people see him as a white supremacist, maybe to some degree, but then, yeah, he's, you know, yeah, has his black following. Right. Yeah, he's kind of, yeah, he is that proto-Alex Jones, but yeah, he's kind of also got a, an enigma quality to him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also like the apocalyptic imagery has that crossover with like a lot of Christian radio stuff too. It's in that yeah. cadence. And yeah, another guy that had one of those violent deaths that seems to keep popping up in these uh in this scene just like either suicides or Mm -hmm. in his case i guess a shootout yeah Um, yeah what what do you think is up with that just is that like one of the risks you uh take on in entering this well he just got he went off the deep end it seems and uh Uh, he, he well part of it was uh he basically said, you know, screw the IRS and uh, it was uh, got uh, indicted on tax evasion and uh, bank fraud. And he's, you know, he saw it, the U.S. government and Bill Clinton as his enemy. And he was, uh, you know, just became more. Uh, paranoid even of uh people in uh the town where he lived in eager arizona and uh, was threatening uh locals and whatnot and had these federal warrants out and like wrote about a little bit in the uh book and because of these complaints you know from locals of uh bill moore or bill uh cooper like they would he had locals that would come out and party and or hang out on a parcel of land near uh, Cooper's uh, place, and he was paranoid about that, and he'd chase them off with you know firearms. So eventually, that led to that showdown with the uh, cops, and he did. Uh, he got blown away, but he also uh, uh, shot a cop in the head. Hmm. Yeah, who. Uh, survived the shooting but he was uh fucked up for the rest of his life yeah yeah that's yeah really because i kind of (laughs) i forget that that's what happened with him uh because he's such a insane story and you can listen to some of the old shows he liked to take a a nip of uh hooch (laughs) now and then and (laughs) yeah he was known i see he was uh also, according to Tal, Tal had a lot of people who was he was feeding the information to that he used for uh, proxies in a sense. And so Cooper was one of those guys, and uh, he hung out uh, with Cooper 
Cooper was in LA before he moved out to Arizona and they do these interviews on the Billy Goodman happening and they Cooper would go through, you know, fifth of whiskey, uh, <laughs> doing these interviews about aliens and stuff. And one time he said he had some type of bird or canary that Cooper uh, pulled out of a cage and killed him right in front of them. So he'd get, uh, he was a strange dude who would get, uh, you know, violent after uh, drinking and you mix that with firearms and paranoia. Well, mm. right. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Um, what else? At least, you, the, yeah. you know, the, what, um, some people would argue, obviously, that uh, <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the uh, case with Cooper, but uh, hmm. uh, certainly he uh, did like uh, firearms and he did like his hooch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you had a sort of a role in that movie, uh, the hill and the hole was something mm-hmm. I, I watched that, uh, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And I, I really thought that was a pretty great, uh, uh, adaptation of that story. Uh, what was uh, your role in that besides, was it just kind of like, uh, an acting role or did you have some, uh, role in developing that or, um, yeah, I helped uh, with, uh, I guess, as, as far as development, uh, I, the guys who uh, produced the film, Bill Darman and Chris Ernst, Bill had a uh, series which you can find uh, kind of a, like a paranormal roadshow thing he was doing called Mandate 33. Mm-hmm. And uh, he interviewed me a few years ago for that. So we started like, uh, you know, became uh, friends. And uh, so he approached me whenever that was a few years ago now. Hey, we're going to film a movie. wondering if you wanted to be in. And I go, okay, sure. Why not? (laughs) And then I said, you do know I've never acted before. I had no idea what exactly they had in mind and so they presented me with the script and it's yeah i have a featured role in it and i guess my involvement as far as creatively was with a lot of the uh dialogue i helped really kind of flesh that out for the character because mm. as i started going through you know the script it was uh you know, it was a learning experience for me too. Like I said, I'd never done any acting, so I'd just start reading through this script, and it was like, well, that you know, a certain word or a phrase didn't feel right coming out of my mouth. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I talk to them and say, "Hey, can I try some other dialogue?" And say, "Yeah, whatever you want to try, go for it." <laughs> and so, um, you know, that led me to uh, probably crafting about half of the dialogue in the film for my character. Mm. And so, yeah, that was my creative part in it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was uh, really great. Um, it kind of touches on a lot of that kind of the high strangeness, high weirdness yes. kind of area. Um, but it has that pulpy uh, Fritz Lieber kind <laughs> of thing as well. Yeah. Yes. I think I've recommended it on here 
uh, before, but I think, yeah, our listeners should check that out. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was really happy how it came out. You know, I yeah. mean, you don't know when you're actually <clears throat> in the process of making the film, how... <laughs> Yeah. what it's going to look like with am I going to look like a fool or you know <laughs> and uh, the uh, end result came out really good I thought mm. and I, I was involved in the process as they were editing earlier versions and you know mm-hmm. eventually it all really came together and it was really tight and yeah I thought yeah. it came out came out well yeah um so what do you think, Dave, or do we have any other questions? Um, yeah, maybe we could finish up. Um, I was just wondering if there was uh, maybe like in researching from A to Adamski, there was like a contactee story that maybe uh, in researching really you endeared yourself to. Because I, I learned about um, Paulina Peavy from uh, <laughs> you talking about it. And I was like, this is amazing. Like these paintings are incredible. Just wondering if yeah. there were any that stuck out. Uh, well, that uh, Paulina Peavy was uh, Greg Bishop actually ended up writing uh, that one. He was uh, he really got uh, blown away by her and her art work is uh, really magnificent. In fact, I was uh, contacted recently during uh, it was during. Uh, COVID time, there was going to be a uh, exhibit for her stuff in LA. I was going to go uh, hmm. check out, but that didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, that was a cool discovery. And uh, Greg uh, dealt more with her. God, let me think. Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, stuff in that book. I'd have to pull it out and uh, flip through it. Uh, I, yeah, I can't. Uh, <laughs> it says, all right, it's putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess we could wrap it up. I, I, I like uh, I like some of the more humorous uh, ones, like uh, yeah. Andy Sinatra, hmm. who was uh, this great, they, what they call him, the uh, psychic barber or something that... Uh, <laughs> Channeled aliens. He was just a uh, humorous character that showed up on, oftentimes on the uh, Long John Nebel uh, uh, show. And uh, oh, I uh, yeah, they're all near and dear to my heart. <laughs> contactees like my children. <laughs> I yeah, can't totally. pick. I can't pick out one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, Cool. Uh, so I guess maybe we can wrap it up there. Um, so if people want to find you online, where might they find you? Well, I have a website, which I haven't really done with much recently, adamgorightly.com, but I'm on uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. There is an off author page on Facebook. I don't cool. do a lot, a lot there. I'm more active on uh Twitter and find my books on Amazon. Oh yeah, I, there's uh, and for the Discordian stuff, I have a there's a website called Historia Discordia, which there's a lot on that actually. Yeah, <laughs> a lot a lot of material over the years that didn't make their so, make they, uh, uh, make 
make it into uh, books. You know, I was the mm -hmm. recipient of the, the Discordian archives, which uh, the founder, which were the files and archives of Greg Hill, uh, the founder of Discordianism with uh, Kerry Thornley. So a lot of that uh, different material that came out of those archives, I share on that uh, Astoria Discordia website. And there's uh, Untamed Dimensions blog, which I haven't done much there recently. And also uh, Chasing UFO blogs, which I started a couple of years ago to promote uh, a is for Adamski and uh, different UFO stuff I was working on. And if you uh, go there, I recently just put up, uh, I mentioned this earlier, that Saucer Spooks and Kooks resource right, page yeah. where you can go and see some of the source materials uh, for the book. So, yeah, that's my online presence, all those different websites and whatnot. Awesome. Yeah. Uh New book, highly recommended, uh, Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks. And yeah, so thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks and, so much. Yeah. yeah, thanks. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Check happy, out the uh, National <laughs> happy, happy National Puppy Day. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know, but... Yeah, it is. <laughs> awesome. According to Twitter, Twitter doesn't lie. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening and yeah, yeah. see you next time see you next okay time. thanks guys hey thanks again cool. yeah thanks for coming yeah. on yeah yeah